Dynasty Blueprint with Matt Williamson and Ryan McDowell. Welcome to another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell, and joined, as always, by Matt Williamson. Matt, how are you tonight? I'm great. How are you? Doing really well. It's It's Good. been a long time. Uh, we had had a little week off, I guess, so I'm glad to be back. I, I actually did my first live home draft over the over the weekend, so that was a blast. Redraft? It's a keeper league. Okay. Um, okay. But I, I've never really had a home league. I, I when I started playing, I started with Dynasty, and I started with uh, leagues that I, I joined through football guys and things like that. So, yeah, this is my first home league, joined with some some buddies. It's an existing league that's been around for a long time. They had an opening, and, and I jumped in. So I like it. It was a fun time. Did some golf and, and casino and just a, a guy's <laughs> yeah. weekend getaway. So I think was... I, I think I told you that we do ours this upcoming weekend – Labor Day weekend, we get a place up in the mountains in Pennsylvania here for three nights. We actually have no choice. They only rent it for three nights. But most of my buds take full advantage. 90% of the league are all dudes I went to high school with or have met you know, recently after. And, you know, the league is sort of secondary. But we do have a draft. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a blast. Someone, uh, someone told me that eventually that will become my favorite league just because of the interaction and – and all the other things that go along with the draft. So uh, I hope that turns out to be true. But we had we had a great time this past weekend. So I would say it's my favorite weekend of the year. And then my last little redraft note is my 10-year-old had his draft yesterday, and that's all he can talk about. And it's his second year of the league. Um, he won it last year. He might have had a little advice from his father. Um, but they had a blast. I mean, there was 12 10-year-olds all putting stickers on a board and loving it and talking smack, and they had a really good time. That's awesome. So he's he's got the sickness. Oh yeah, yeah. He's been he was building up to it quite a bit, and I let him do the majority of the picking. Just sort of guided him. I mean, I let him do all the picking. I just sort of guided him. And you know, there's a lot of dad. So what do you think between these three? You know, that kind of stuff. He wasn't taking a quarterback in the first couple of rounds or anything either. <laughs> That's awesome. We've we've got to groom them young. Absolutely. All right. Well, we've got another good show today. It's it's actually just me and you today, Matt. We're going to answer some. Uh, listener questions related to Dynasty Leagues, and uh, we've got a, a good variety of questions today, some player-specific, some trade questions, and strategy, all types of questions that that should lead to some good conversation. Absolutely. We haven't done this for a while, just the two of us. And, and I'm thinking, and we kind of talked about it via text, that maybe our next show will have some redraft feel to it, or, you know, just because we know a lot of people are picking here soon and talking about you know, this season. Yeah, definitely. The The preseason's winding down. I guess really the preseason essentially is over. These first few cuts are coming in. Uh, there's one week left of preseason, but we don't expect to see any anyone really of note. Although I did see Paxton Lynch is expected to play the entire game. That will be interesting. But for the most part, all the big names are going to be on the sidelines next week. and And we will have a show coming up really focused on just the upcoming 2016 season. Let's just dig right into the questions, man. All right. The first one is from T-Dog Colts, and uh, he's wondering about Kenny Stills. He says, is the Kenny Stills hype for real, or is it just preseason fluff? So Stills has played well these first couple games of the preseason. He did actually get hurt today, so um, I guess any answer we give will will be dependent on what kind of results come from from this injury. Hopefully it's nothing serious, but he's been playing well. He's actually been playing ahead of Devonte Parker, who was one of the dynasty favorites of this off season. I, I think it's for real. What do you think, Matt? In a way, you know, that I think that he's deserving to be on a typical league's bottom of the roster. You know, I think he should be rostered in all leagues. I think there's talent there. Um, the Saints gave up on him. You know, I mean, he was not making big money. His contract wasn't up. They basically just kicked him out the door and said, we don't want you anymore. That doesn't bode real well. But, you know, in the Peyton Breeze scheme, they're very particular. I mean, they're very scheme-oriented. And if he's not abiding, then he's got to go. And they got a decent draft pick in return. But my thoughts on it are, I'm souring a little. And, and I've never been a huge, huge supporter of Parker. You know, I'm not sold that he's a no-brainer guy. You know, I mean, the other guys of his genre I would prefer. I like Carew a lot, but he's starting slow. 
So I think Stills is going to see a lot of time early. I also think this offense is going to play very fast, um, basketball on grass, and rotate receivers in quite a bit. So uh, you could see him getting a lot of time on the field. Yeah, Parker, I would say, has been one of the biggest disappointments just in these first couple weeks of the preseason. Um, Not only is he playing behind Stills, he also left practice with an injury today. I don't think that's anything serious. But there does always seem to be those nagging injuries with him. He had the broken foot in college, aggravated that before he even stepped on the field in the NFL. So uh, I think Stills is a guy who's gaining a little bit of value, and and Parker's probably losing a bit through these first few weeks of the preseason. Yeah, I think that's safe to say, and Landry's kind of been the constant. And, and I think your injury note is, is worth talking about on Parker because he's – He's not great at getting off a jam. You know, he's kind of a taller, slender player. He's not the most physical guy. He's not as rocked up as Carew or Landry. You know, that he needs to – and you wonder how well is his body is going to handle the punishment because he has dealt with so many injuries already. Yeah, and, and obviously that's a crowded depth chart with Landry, who's, who's going to see his, his targets no matter what. And then, of course, Stills and, and Carew. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk about a guy. I think I already know your answer on this one, but Andrew's wondering about the value of Jordan Matthews, and and he notes something I've seen as well. People seem to either love him or hate him. Few few people in the middle on Jordan Matthews. I'm on the hate side, always have been. Just don't love the player. But I will concede that those around him are not real impressive. I mean, I think they're going to try to be a Chiefs-like offense. But I look at this offense, too, and think – the Eagles might be really bad on the offensive side of the ball. You know, Lane Johnson suspended 10 games. You know, the quarterback situation is sort of in flux. How long is Matthews going to last? A tight end-centric offense, but, you know, even if you're the biggest Zach Ertz supporter, he's certainly not Kelsey in terms of athletic ability. I think Aguilar's a bust. You know, I'm really starting to lean that way on him since we talked about him last. So, in a way, that only leaves Matthews. So, he could be – I'll concede the case that he could be a better fantasy player than he is NFL player. Yeah, I've come around on him a little bit. It's funny, Andrew said everybody is either a love him or hate him with, with Matthews, but I guess I really am in the middle. I've I've never been the biggest fan, but I don't hate him. I've got him on some rosters. But this offseason with both him and Jarvis Landry that we just talked about, I finally just gave in to the production. You know, for two years in a row, these guys have put up monster numbers, and largely they've been um, undervalued. So, you know, if if that's Mike Evans or if that's uh, Amari Cooper doing that, some other young wide receivers, people are going crazy over them, and and myself included. And a lot of what you said I agree with. You know, Matthews is – I think he's going to end up being really the only option there. I I don't like Aguilar either. Uh, I do like Ertz. Uh, I'm just waiting until Ryan Matthews gets hurt. So uh, I think we're going to see a ton of Jordan Matthews this year. And and because of that, I I do like him. Andrew's asking specifically about his value. I tend to think of the value of any player really in future draft picks. I I think you could easily buy him with uh, a 2017 first, uh, especially if, if it's expected to be in the middle of the round or even earlier. And that says more about the value of those 2017 picks than it does about Matthews. Would you rather have him? How many rookie receivers this year would you rather have than Jordan Matthews? Shepard, Coleman, Doxon, Treadwell. Um, I think. And we'll get to those guys late in the show, Fuller. But some of the blooms off the rose a little bit with some of those guys right now, too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, I mean, I think. I'm tempted to say zero just again because of that production that we've seen for two years, you know, and, and both of those years, especially last year was, were, were kind of a disaster in Philadelphia in general, yet he managed to still put up big numbers. I, I would say probably Coleman and Treadwell, but that's it. Okay. And I, and I could certainly make the argument or see the argument for zero as we stand right here, you know, late August, none of those guys are lighting it up by any stretch. Right. Our next question brings up another rookie wide receiver. Jacob uh, has, I guess, a trade question. He says, Sterling Shepard and what equals Tyler Lockett in in a trade? And I'm not sure you have to add anything. Um, I I think those guys are very close in value. 
you know, of course, Lockett has has seen his value rise over the offseason and Shepard landing in New York, which just looks like a primo spot. He's gained some value since the NFL draft as well. I think those guys are pretty close. So if we're in a hyperactive league and your inbox dings up and it says Williamson offers you Shepard in a 17 second for Lockett, you're pulling the trigger. Yeah, I think so. We would make that deal then. I like Lockett that much. Although I think your point is strong. I think they have similar characteristics. I think they're both great route runners. They'll probably never be 10, 12 touchdown type guys. They'll probably score some long touchdowns. I think they could be high target guys in time. I just think Lockett's that year, that one more year being proven to me is enough that I would give something pretty substantial up to make that deal. But it's a good question. Yeah, so would you would you give a first? That's you know that that's the real question. No, no. I mean, I would certainly give a any first more or less straight up for Lockett, but I can't give seventeen flirt first and Shepard. No, I think that's probably where most people would be. Shepard and a little something else, maybe a second rounder or or an equivalent player for Lockett. I, I think most people would agree with that. Um, we've got a question from Kevin Love. His Twitter handle is the other Kevin Love, so maybe not the basketball player. Uh, how maybe many? It is. Maybe it is. Maybe that's the other <laughs> Kevin Love. We're getting pretty big. <laughs> Kevin wants to know how many tight ends are you holding on a typical twenty-five man roster? He says he has hmm. Eifert, Dwayne Allen, Will Ty, and Virgil Green. He feels like that's too many, but at the same time, doesn't really want to drop any of those. I guess I have a question for you along those lines. How big a deal is it to you? I mean, especially in the summer, it doesn't matter to me as much. But I don't look at it very often and say, man, I'm carrying way too many tight ends. If I love the players, I'm keeping them. You know, like I'm scanning through my six or seven leagues right now. One league, I have five, but I have Jarrell Adams. He could probably go. I mean, that's, that's, you know, my, my team isn't real strong at the bottom. He'll probably be my first cut pick up a defense or something like that. But most leagues I have three or four. I know they can be dead weight more than other positions because sometimes they really sit around for a long time. But rarely – there's one league, actually, I just did it. I just trade. I, I took a loss on a deal to make roster space because I just don't have the guys and we have to make final cuts soon. But generally speaking, uh, I don't turn down a good guy because, boy, I have too many tight ends on my roster or something along those lines. Uh, yeah, I would totally agree with that. That's actually what I was going to say, especially in the offseason. Most of my leagues do have offseason waivers, so I'm just collecting I'm just collecting talent and and really paying little attention to what what position those players play. And you know, sometimes that that means I end up with four quarterbacks and five tight ends and then I've got to do some some roster management this type of this time of year when the season is is getting close. But in general, I'm just collecting as many of those pieces that I think are going to gain value, and and whether that means I I trade them or, or they just become fantasy relevant on my roster. I mean, the the guys he mentioned, Eifert, Allen, Ty, Green, with a 25 man roster, I probably wouldn't want to drop any of those guys either. I think Ty is getting close. I've actually yeah, seen, that's what I was thinking. I've seen some reports that Larry Donnell may win that job, and if that's true, Ty could probably go. The Giants may draft a tight end the first round next year, too. Yeah, I don't I think mean, – Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not married to any of those guys. Right. I don't think either of those guys are, are long-term dynasty options. You know, ideally, I would probably roster two good tight ends and two good quarterbacks and, and just load up on the other positions. But that's not always how it works out. Yeah, I think that's well said. You know, the tight end – it's a good question because tight end can be tricky. I mean, you end up with too many – Hoopers and Higbees and, you know, Walfords and guys, you know, that I like. And all of a sudden you're light up somewhere else. And and you can't, you know, when, when it's week five and you go to put your lineup in, you're just not excited about starting some of those players, you know. So, yeah, it's a good question. But all in all, I, I, I like talent over rosters. And it always makes me crazy when I'm talking trade with somebody and they're like, but I already have three tight ends. I don't want four. Like, is that really that big a deal? Our next question comes from Tyson Banker. Uh, Tyson's a, a good buddy. He's in some of some of my leagues. He says, when a player is rising or falling, uh, when their ADP is rising or falling, how do you adjust and get ahead of the trend? 
That's a tough one. Uh, you know, it's hard to do because I think player value changes so much. And, you know, he mentions the ADP. And, of course, we do that over at DLF. And once a month I run these six drafts that, that I've talked about before. And those drafts take usually a week to ten days. And, and then at the end of that period we have ADP. But throughout that period things are changing. You know, since we did our August ADP, we've had – some players drastically change value, you know, you know, because of injuries or uh, just playing well in preseason. So it, it's really hard to stay ahead of those trends. I would just say, watch as much actual football as you can. And, you know, when you're either impressed by a player or, or I guess disappointed by them, you know, make that move based on what you're seeing, what you're reading, uh, the sources you trust. And, and you can't always wait for, you know, for ADP to show you if a player is rising or falling. Well, what I do is when I really like a player, I just send out a lot of tweets about how much I hate him and try to drive down his value. (laughs) (laughs) Kidding, obviously. (laughs) But, I mean, I don't know that you and I are the best people to ask about this because we're going to be on top of that more. Not that we're smarter than the people out there listening. It's just we're going to be on top of those trends a little bit more than everybody else because, you know, my, especially myself, I don't have a real job. That's all I'm doing, you know. So if the guy you're trading with isn't on board that, boy, this guy's rising up boards like crazy, it doesn't matter what his ADP is. You know, if you're trying to get James White away from somebody after the Dion Lewis trade, but this guy's liked them from the beginning and doesn't, you know, isn't moving them, it doesn't matter. Um, I do think, though, there's times – when you and I and people in the business could certain or anyone out there, I mean, I shouldn't, shouldn't narrow it down that can see that this guy's getting inflated too much. And to me, that's when you really strike. Like if you have a guy and his, he's going through the roof right now, you know, maybe Devontae Parker is a good example that he just got too high for what he's truly shown us. That's the ultimate sell point. I and mean, it goes back to the start mar- stock market theory. Yeah. And that's uh, honestly, I, I think that's, a really difficult thing to do because we all fall in love with our rosters. And, you know, if you drafted a guy or, or even grabbed him off the waiver wire and suddenly he's the hot name. And, you know, it's, we saw that with a guy like Corderell Patterson, you know, he ends up being a second round startup pick, you know, almost for no reason. It, it's easy to look now and say, yeah, you should have sold him for an established player or you should have sold him for two first rounders. But when you when you make that draft pick, you make that pick up off the waiver wire, and the and it looks like the guy is going to hit. It's tough to move on from from those players. Oh, it is. And I guess one piece of advice I have, and it's easier said than done, is you can't operate out of fear. In that, boy, this guy's going to turn into Tom Brady and be the best quarterback ever. Well, he might, but you can't kick yourself for making a good deal. You know, you get two first round picks for a guy that you, you don't you're not totally on board with, or you know the deal's in your favor and you just can't pull the trigger. You're just afraid to get rid of a great talent. I, I don't think you can you can operate that way. I mean, if someone gives you enough for Odell, you move them. All right. Paul wants to know uh if, if you're if you have a wide receiver heavy team, do you focus on acquiring proven running backs or rookies? Why don't you take this one? I think we probably feel the same way on it. But Yeah, I think my answer is is a little bit of both. And when, when I say proven, I'm thinking of those uh, cheap veteran guys. You know, I'm, I'm targeting right now Arian Foster, Frank Gore. You know, and th- those are guys who are going to cost second or third round picks uh, and might be starters this season. And, and then we've talked before on, on the show – I think the second round and, and third round of rookie drafts are the prime time to, to grab some running backs. So a lot of my teams have a mixture uh, of those types of players, Foster and Gore and Woodhead, and then, you know, maybe Devonte Booker and Paul Perkins and, and, you know, guys like that, hoping those hit as well. I don't have as many of the Elliott's, Gurley's, Le'Veon Bell types. Yeah. And for your team to have Elliott or Gurley, you had to be bad. You know, and, and my hunch is, and being in leagues with you, that you are established, you haven't picked first in a while in any league. Um, I took over a team or two, and I picked first back-to-back and hyperactive, and I got Gurley and Elliott, you know, so I don't regret having those guys, but I'm with you. Like, on my teams that are good, that I've been in, in charge of for a while, there's very few 
top 10 dynasty running backs on my roster, you know, in terms of, you know, where they go ADP wise, you know, that I, I have a lot of the young guys that I have hope for. And I'm starting to finally come around on the theory that you've pretty much taught me is, yeah, give up a third round pick for Frank Gore and start him every week and win. Yeah, that, that has worked, worked for me on, you know, again, we've, we've talked on here a lot of times and, and we even did the, the three episodes about different types of strategy. So there's, there's no one right strategy for dynasty, but that has, that's been pretty successful for me and, and I'll keep doing that. All right. Peter wants to know what are your criterias in player evaluation and player rankings? I would say you're probably more on the player evaluation side of that. I, I can handle the rankings. Uh, and he mentions maybe age production upside. Uh, I'll let you start with the evaluation part of that. I mean, is he asking, you know, how do I scout players or how do I accumulate my dynasty knowledge? Or I'm not quite sure what he's asking me. You know, is he teach, does he want a lesson on, you know, when I was at the Browns, what do we look for in wide receivers? Or what do you think he's asking there? Um, I'm thinking from, from a dynasty perspective, like basically what are the, what are the things that affect how you value a player? or how you rank a player. And again, he mentioned, he mentioned age, which is a huge one for me. I'm yes. You know, the younger, the player, the, the more I'm likely to value them higher. Uh, that's obviously not always true. Just younger does not always mean better, but it's, it's at least a tiebreaker for me. Production is obviously important though. I think a lot of times we, you know, we brush that aside you know, a guy like Eric Decker just continually is is undervalued and, and overlooked, even though he, he just keeps putting up numbers. He did it in Denver with Peyton Manning. He's Now he's doing it with a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick. So I think some people, myself included, again, might value age sometimes over production, which, which may not be a good thing. Yeah, and I think I'm actually more of an ageist than you are. You know, that there's very few guys on my any of my dynasty teams that are 28 or older that are non-quarterbacks. I mean, and I've, and part of it's because I had, you know, I've taken a lot of rebuilds and and I'm getting to the point where I want, but upside is absolutely probably at the top of the list. And that goes hand in hand with, with, with ageism. I'm sure is you just assume young guys have their best in front of them and they're going to be great. And, you know, they might be, And, and I'm very much a fan of, boy, this guy, you know, even a guy like Virgil Green, you know, that I look at on the cheap right now, he's probably in all dynasty leagues by now, but a month ago, oh, he wasn't. But he's a good athlete in a good situation that I'm excited about because if he hits, he might hit real big. He might be a tight end one. I don't think that's unbelievably far-fetched for somebody of his abilities in his situation. No, I don't either. That's interesting that you say that, though. I was actually probably going to put upside last of the – of the characteristics that Peter mentioned, not because I don't think it's important, but I think it's hard to, I think it's hard to see. It's hard to define. You know, we look at some players and say, yeah, they have a huge upside. You know, Virgil Green has a huge upside, but why does he have a huge upside and Larry Donnell doesn't, you know, is it, is it their athletic? I'd say it's athleticism for me. Uh, Yeah. Athleticism. Is it their, their build, their age? Is it their past production? Can't really be that because we've seen it from Donnell. We haven't really seen, you know, we haven't seen much of anything from Virgil Green in in his career. Right or wrong, it's a strain for me to add average athletes to my dynasty team. You know, even though they're starting running back, starting, you know, that Jordan Howard, you know, like, okay, he's all right and he might score touchdowns, but he's never going to be Adrian Peterson. So, So when you're talking athleticism, are you looking at, uh, combine numbers, or is it just kind of what you see on on tape or, or in a game? You just kind of know it when you see it? Uh, it's more on tape, but I think combine numbers are a very good verification. Or if you get the numbers first and you go and thinking, okay, this guy's a really good athlete, you prefer it the other way around. I mean, that you watch him on tape, you get, you know, as a scouting background, you want 75% or so of your evaluation to come from tape and hopefully the 40 times and explosion numbers and whatnot are all verify what you saw on tape. And if they don't, you need to go back and say, is he just not comfortable? You know, could he be much more if we teach him to do this? 
or is he really, or does he just happen to run a 40 really well because somebody's trained him to do it? So what do we do then with a guy like Tajay Sharp who had, yeah, uh, he's interesting. uh, Yeah. He had a great college career, a terrible combine, uh, you know, one of the worst combines for, for any of the receivers, which caused him to fall not only in the NFL draft, we think, but um, he, he fell down rookie draft boards as well. He was, uh, he was once considered a potential first round dynasty rookie pick and, and he fell to the third or fourth round after, uh, after the combine in the NFL draft. So what do we do with him? He's, he's obviously proving it. He earned a starting job before training camp even started. He made the Titans feel comfortable enough to trade DGB. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't think it's a stretch by any means to say he's already their best wide receiver. Is he a guy who's just an exception to that rule? No, I don't know. I mean, I respect his game. I think he's a great story. I think he's going to be a quality NFL number two receiver that grows up with Mariota and a team that wants to be young. But he, to me, is kind of goes back to what I was saying. Like, by no means am I putting offers out for Tajay Sharp right now. And if I had him, I'd be listening to him. He's uh, he's being traded for first round rookie picks, from what I've seen. So, yeah, like, I would do that for sure. Yeah, I would do that for sure as well. And and I'm I'm a little bit more of a fan than you are. It sounds like. Well, let's move on. Justin wants to know. This is, I think, a really good topic. He says, with the change in injury reporting status, making setting lineups even harder, will the best ball format grow? Well, why does it make lineups harder? To me, it makes it easier. Well, maybe um, not. I mean, I guess questionable is still questionable, and we all hate questionable. Well, and probable is now questionable. So the probable tag is gone. That's that's the change, basically, if there's uh, – right. the, way, the way I've at least understood the, the change in the rule is that uh, if there's any doubt that the player might play on, you know, on game day, he would be listed as questionable, questionable. Or, or even worse. Um and, and, you know, I've just always assumed if a player is probable that he is playing. And there's obviously been some players to be tagged as probable and not play, but it's pretty rare, and, and which, right. which is one thing that has led the NFL to do this. So, um, And doubtful was doubtful, where now I wonder if a pretty injured, questionable guy becomes a doubtful guy. You know what right. I mean? Does it have a ripple effect on – the player that's 30% chance of playing that I would have put questionable last year. Now do I make him doubtful? And he, then he goes and plays on us, you know, and then we are all screwed and he has a good game and we don't put him in our lineup. It's a good question. I have never thought about it at all. You just wonder, is the questionable list just going to be gigantic now? I think it could be. Yeah. Yeah, and really. I've, I've tried best ball leagues in the past. Of course, I've, I've done some MFL tens, which I really enjoy. As far as best ball dynasty leagues, I did not find myself enjoying those. And and honestly, I once the season started, I I rarely even checked into those leagues. I had to look at the, you know, check out the league at the end to see uh, how my team had fared. Yeah, I guess it's out of your hands. Right. There, there's much less activity in those leagues. Some yeah. of them don't don't allow trading at all. But even the ones that do, I haven't experienced experienced many trades. So. Yeah, the best ball format might grow. I I don't know that it's going to, you know, grow to a huge degree where it's really a, an important thing in, in the dynasty landscape. What is interesting is in some of my current leagues with this new injury rule, um, there's been a rule change proposed in our league that basically allows, would allow everyone when they're setting their lineup to name a, I guess a, a bench player, you know, a, a specific bench player that if, you know, if Adrian Adrian Peterson's questionable and if he's out, then this is my guy that I'm putting in. Oh, okay. So, so that just allows owners when they're setting their lineup to have, to have that out, to have that safety net. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about that either. I think that takes a little bit of the fun and the strategy out of it for me, but right. um, if that's, you know, if this new rule is something you're worried about or something your league is worried about, that that's something that could maybe work. 
And that's a little too easy to me on the owner that doesn't pay much attention and, you know, uh, isn't on top of things. I never like rewarding those people. Right. That that was part of my thought as well. I actually wrote about this rule in the DLF newsletter a couple weeks ago. And one thing I mentioned was that I could see this leading to handcuffing becoming a popular strategy again. It It's kind of gone away. It was popular in, you know, in the, early 2000s when fantasy football was really growing and everyone was building around the running back position. Every running back you owned, you wanted to own their backup as well, just in case. And sometimes that paid off and sometimes it wasn't, uh, wasn't really a factor, but uh, I could, I could see that becoming a little more important with this new injury rule. Yeah. I think that's a, a good way, a good thought there too. And maybe even a wide receiver. I mean, do you think you could, people would start handcuffing wide receivers like, I have Parker, I should take Stills, or something along those lines. I think we could see it, you know, and and a lot of people I have seen talking about this and and how it's going to affect, especially daily fantasy. I think that's where you're really going to see uh, some changes. I know FanDuel FanDuel does not allow for late switches, so once the 1 o'clock games kick off, your lineup is set, even if you have 4 o'clock or Sunday night or Monday night football guys. Uh, in your lineup. So that's that's going to be a challenge for those daily fantasy players. Yeah, that's a good point. Good point. All right. JH wants to know, how aggressive are you with injured studs in the trade market? As a contender, do you sell them? So this is something we talked at length with Adam Harstad about, and, and he's a huge proponent, if you guys remember, of buying those injured players. I actually meant to reach out to Adam this week. I'm I know he's he's a big Deion Lewis fan. I wanted to see if he was Ooh. still buying up shares of Deion Lewis with his recent injury news. But uh, in, in general, do you agree with Adam? Are you buying those injured players when you have a chance? If you're a contender, are you selling them off for someone who can maybe help you right now? Yeah, I think I'm more with Adam on that. And, again, I think that's just an aggressive nature. Like when the, when the Watkins news broke over the offseason, I was putting out feelers immediately. I would say certainly less so for injury or more so for injury guys than suspension guys, you know, the Martavis Bride, Josh Gordon types, you know, I trust medicine more than I trust uh, people involved with drugs or that have a problem to rebound and change their life around. Yeah. For me, I guess it just, it really just goes down to how I felt about that player before the injury. Uh, Of course, I'm a huge Randall Cobb fan. And when he, uh, he had an injury a couple of years ago, and, and I used that as an opportunity to buy uh, to buy him in a couple of leagues. I probably wouldn't have gotten him at that same price if he hadn't have gotten hurt. So, you know, if it's a player I already like, if they get hurt, I see that as as basically an opportunity or a window to to acquire them and add them to my team. I mean, how about Romo? <laughs> you know, I mean. You get he was cut in one of our leagues, and I gra- I picked them up for nothing. I couldn't believe Tony Romo got cut this week. I mean, I, I could see where someone get fed up with him, and he's old. But I mean, I would throw a third round pick or two fourths or something at Romo. Um, it's rough, I'm pro- right? I'm probably closer to the other side of that. I actually did cut him in. Did you really? I cut him in another league and I do think this is league dependent. I've got, I've got Romo in a few leagues and I only cut him in one. Um, The funny thing is I actually dropped him before this, uh, this injury news broke over the past weekend. We, we knew that he had been hurt, but we didn't know the severity. So in this specific league, um, I had also Andrew Luck and Ryan Tannehill, I, I think is who I had on my roster it's a contract league and I Romo had a one year deal. So I, I knew no matter what happened, this was probably the last year he would be on my roster. Okay. And, and what really gave me the information I needed to make the move was he had been, I had actually acquired him in the free agent auction and he cost $1, which was the league minimum. So I, I bid on him for a dollar and no one touched him uh, despite some, some of the other guys needing a quarterback. So that really told me all I needed to know about how he was valued even a few months ago before this. Um, so the the great thing for me, the way it worked out, is I dropped him for Dak Prescott. Nice. Uh, and this was uh, last Wednesday or Thursday maybe. Uh, our buddy Denny Carter gave me a hard time 
about that, but I felt confident with it and I, I feel even better about it now. But I mean, Romo is one of my favorite, favorite players. I hope he comes back, but who knows at this point, you know, he's 36. Somebody said it best on Twitter. You never, uh, no one used to have a bad back, right? So right. If, right. if you have a bad back, that's, that's what you're going to be dealing with pretty much for the rest of your life. In Romo's case, for the rest of his playing career, it's not going to get a lot better for him. I don't think so. And I've told you many times that if I had to put a chip down on one quarterback I thought was going to get hurt, it would have been Romo. But by no means, and I commend you for it, would I have had the stones last week to drop Romo for Dak Prescott? No way. But your well, uh, your, your circumstances made some more sense with the contract and all. But I, I commend you. Good work. All right. Well, speaking of Adam, uh, Adam sent in a question for us as well. And uh, in typical Adam fashion, it's it's well worded and and interesting. He says, "Why do dynasty owners, in favor of trade deadlines, hate freedom and joy?" <laughs> um, so uh, Adam is clearly against trade deadlines in I general. Too. You know, I'm I'm going to let you handle this one then because I actually I don't really have an opinion. I've got some leagues that have trade de- deadlines, some leagues that don't. I don't see huge differences. I mean, obviously there are some differences, but I, I don't enjoy one format over the other. Uh, so I'll, I'll let you share why you agree with Adam. When I was new to dynasty and they're like, okay, trade deadline's coming up. I'm like, why is there a trade deadline? You know, if my team stinks, uh, I want to be able to dump all my guys all the way to the end. Or if I'm still in it, I'm going to pay more and more for Adrian Peterson or whoever's going to put me over the top. And and in all honesty, I don't understand. It's never been explained to me, I guess, or I've never quite understand or wrap my head around. Why is there one in Major League Baseball? Why is there one in the NFL? I mean, why not just be able to trade all the time? <laughs> I don't know. I guess it's it's yeah. that competitive balance thing, or or maybe it's just a case of that's how we've always done it. Um, that's what I think it is. Is you know, right around July or whatever is a major league trade deadline and you better make a deal by this date or you can't ever get a new player. I never understood it. All right. Next, Phil says, how do you rebuild a team in a league with inactive owners? This I don't is have a that tough answer. One. This is you, yeah. man. I don't have that answer. Well, I say, I say nasty things to them and throw dog crap at their house, but that's about <laughs> the best I can do. I'd, you know, I don't think there is a good answer. Um, no. You can only rebuild so much through through the waiver wire and through your three draft picks that you're you know that you're given each year. Um, but if you have guys who not only won't trade but aren't even interested in trading, uh, that just shuts down that whole you know that whole avenue to improve your team. Whether you're rebuilding or or you're just looking for that one more piece to make a title run. I guess my my best advice to Phil would just be to look for for a better, more active league. Yeah, and join a new league. Yeah, if that's if his current league is one with you know with friends or you know office buddies or whatever, that's that's a tough a tough spot. And that's one reason I play in twenty two dynasty leagues now. I actually counted, so the wow. numbers up to twenty two. And and there's certain ones all, you like better than the others, I'm sure. Of course, of yeah. course, and there, you know, there's there's some that are more active than others, and those are in general those are the ones I do enjoy more. You know, the more activity, the better. But as far as rebuilding, it, that's a tough spot. Um, you know, honestly, for Phil, I think I think I would just have to look for a new league. And again, if that's a, a friends and family league, you know, keep that one on the side, but find a new league to focus on. Or the league you're in, if there's four or five active owners send an email just to those guys and say, Hey, do you guys want to branch out and start a new one? And we'll find five or six other guys, you know, you know, build a new league with a good cornerstone, but yeah, that's brutal. I mean, sometimes you get an email back and say, I'm not really looking to trade right now. Or uh, I always tell a story about the dude that sent me a note. I sent him a, tra- a couple trade offers. I'm like, Hey, you even into this, you know, they, they just expire. And he's like, dude, I'm, I'm in fantasy baseball mode right now. I can't be bothered until, you know, training camps are. So I'm like, oh, my Lord. Well, then what do you do? <laughs> You're killing me, man. Then I'm never going to get anybody that you own. All right. Joe has a question about one of your favorite topics, the Browns. Uh, he says RG3 is looking good. Everything, you know, the thing, things are looking up for the Browns. They are. Uh, they, they, get, they got a fourth-round pick for, for a punter today. So, uh, Did they trade Andy Lee? 
Yes. Yep. He's my buddy. He, I spent a ton of time with him at Pitt. I didn't hear that. Good for him. Get uh, out of, get I think, out of uh, yeah, I think it's Carolina. Carolina gave an 18, a 2018 fourth rounder for Lee. Fourth and, rounder. He's a very good runner. Pick. Wow. That's nuts. Good for the Browns. Good for Andy. Uh, he's from that area, actually, too. He grew up in South Carolina. But anyways, I assume RG3, Pryor, Gordon, all their ADP has gone up dramatically since we really discussed this, right? Uh, yes, they've they've all been uh, well. Again, it, it, that ADP, you know, the latest ADP is from early August. Uh, okay, really almost before uh, they can't keep up with a week to week situation. Right, it, right, right. right. It, in dynasty. Um, but yeah, I would say all those guys are seeing their value on the rise. And I want basically all those guys on my team. I like Crowell too. I like Duke. I really just trust the coaching staff. I mean, I think Hugh Jackson is very good. We've talked about Pryor. I'd have him everywhere I possibly can. I think he's going to be a real dynasty asset. I think there's going to be some Jacksonville-like production late in games. They certainly throw deep. They create offense pretty well. They might have the worst defense in the league. Those things add up to fantasy points. So so Pryor is the – I think the interesting guy there. Uh, so you're a believer in, in him then? I am. I think he'll catch a lot of touchdowns. I think he'll catch a lot of deep balls. And I think they'll use him, you know, as a bubble screen guy. You know, maybe he throws a touchdown this year. That wouldn't shock me. Um, I don't think he's going to be a high volume player, but I think he makes those catches count. So my point on him, I was discussing this last week. You know, you've got Coleman there. You've got Josh Gordon after the first month. Uh, you've got Duke Johnson, who kept, caught 60-some balls last year. Barnage had a breakout year uh, in last season. They've got four receivers. Right, and they've got, they've got all, these, all these rookies uh, alongside Coleman. So where does Pryor fit into that? Because I see if the Browns – if things work out the way the Browns want them to, I think Coleman and Gordon are their top two uh, targets. You know, Barnage mm-hmm. is that safety net. Duke, it's coming out of the backfield, obviously. And then Pryor's the fifth option at best in what's probably going to be not a great offense. See, I think the offense might be okay. I, I don't think it's going to be nearly as horrible as we thought originally. And I don't want to overreact to the preseason, but I do think it'll be a big play offense. And, you know, he, he's going to catch – four, five, 40-plus yard touchdowns this year. I mean, he's a crazy athlete that can get deep. I also, you know, we haven't talked about this, and it's been rumored for a while, but I really don't think it would be a shock at all if Josh Gordon gets traded. You know, if he puts a little bit more good tape out there and, you know, at the trade deadline, you know, somebody calls and takes Josh Gordon, take, go send him to Tampa Bay or something. Well, that would that would certainly have a huge effect on, on Pryor's value you know, if that were to happen. No doubt. But, I mean, that's speculation. Or he could get suspended again. <laughs> that's probably more, more likely. <laughs> All right, I love this question from Ben. He says, long-term, who is the wide receiver to own in Indy, Arizona, and Carolina? So let's start with uh, Indy. The Colts, of course, have Moncrief, Hilton, and uh, Philip Dorsett. They have almost nothing after that when it comes to the wide receiver position. Um, Pretty sure this is another question I know your answer to already, but who's your guy there long-term, Moncrief, Hilton, Dorsett? Well, I mean, I think if you rank them dynasty-wise, they go Hilton, Moncrief, Dorsett. I like all three. I want all three on my redraft team. But for what they cost right now, I want Moncrief. And I think Moncrief is the most – you know, the size to me goes a long way, you know, that he's going to move the chains. He's going to go up and get it in the red zone. I like him a lot. I think he's a massive breakout candidate. I want him for sure in redraft. I want him to have him a lot in dynasty. I don't own any Hilton stock. It's not that I have any problem with him, but you know, he's a little pricey for me. Yeah, one one thing that I thought was, was pretty crazy was in our August DLF ADP, and that's down to the, I guess, the, the hundredth decimal spot, Moncrief and Hilton had the exact same ADP. I believe it was wow. 21.67, you know, the exact same ADP. So that's, you know, maybe that's the community wow. speaking. Those, those ages are predicting a breakout for Moncrief. People who value 
solid production. Of course, they're still siding with Hilton as they should be. Uh, I agree with you. I'm taking Moncrief. And I guess where I would disagree with you is I think Moncrief is actually probably more expensive if you're talking dynasty trade than than Hilton. Yeah, I didn't realize that. I I thought Hilton would be a little pricier right now just because he's more proven. I mean, for the exact same dollar amount, I might take Hilton. I don't know. I have a hard time saying anything bad about Moncrief. That's a tough question. Yeah. Well, let's, let's see what you say about Arizona. So um, they've got a little more depth than the Colts, um, but they also have the big three similar to Indianapolis, Larry Fitzgerald, John Brown, Michael Floyd. Uh, You know, as loaded as they look at wide receiver right now, and they have guys like uh, JJ Nelson and, and Jerome Brown uh, behind those big three as well. But as loaded as they look right now, a year from now, that could be, very different. You know, Fitzgerald obviously oh, yeah. getting up there. I mean, he could, I don't think he's going to retire after this season, but it wouldn't be a shock. Uh, Michael Floyd's a free agent after this season. He could move on. And then John Brown dealing with these concussions, uh, which is always a scary, uh, a scary issue. So for me, the guy I want is, is Floyd long-term. It's pretty easy. I think he's, I think he's more talented than Brown. He's, uh, he doesn't have this concussion issue. And um, I think he's actually younger than, than John Brown as well, even though he's been in the league longer. This is a really good discussion, but not quite as good as the discussion that Luke Crate shows us. If you're looking for gear, collectibles, houseware, and more from your favorite pop culture franchises, we've got you covered. Loot Crate offers a wide range of geek and gamer items for less than 20 bucks a month. And what's great about that is it gets reduced by a great deal if you go to lootcrate.com slash dynastyblueprint and enter the code dynastyblueprint, you save another two bucks a month. It's a great deal. Get ready for September's high-octane theme, speed. This week's Loot Crate has a high-octane assortment of goodies from Batman, CW's The Flash, and Arrow, Battlestar Galactica, Iron Man, and Gone in 60 Seconds. Good stuff by Loot Crate. We're very happy to have them as our sponsor. Go check them out. So, let's talk about the Cardinals. They're hairy now. You know, like like you said, Floyd is a free agent after the year. He's the one I want right now. I think he's the complete guy in his prime, all those wonderful things. But I own John Brown a ton of places, and this concussion news is making me bonkers. You know, like I'm starting to buy in that a little fella like him that gets beat up and, you know, isn't, isn't built to withstand the rigors of the league – uh, you know, I, I, maybe he has a short career. Or maybe he doesn't play all that much this year. He's still having headaches that comes out today. I still think Larry's a very, very good player. Isn't going away anytime soon. But Floyd's the guy I want. What about Carolina? Um, again, they... This one's easy for me. Okay. They they don't have the, the wide receiver depth either. They've, they've got some nice complimentary pieces. Ted Ginn had a big year, but nobody's nobody's picking him as a long-term wide receiver option. It's really the two guys that that look alike when it comes to their size, their stature, and, and the way they play the game. Kelvin Benjamin entering his third year, really is really just his second second year on the field after missing last season, and then Devin Funches entering his second year as well. So it's, you said it's easy. Who are you taking here? It's to the point now that if I had Benjamin, I'd trade him straight up for Funches in Dynasty. And I caught a ton of heat a month ago. I traded Benjamin for Funches and Julius Thomas and like a third-round pick, and I was the biggest idiot in the world. I think Funches is going to be the better player. Yeah, I think those two are, you know, unlike Moncrief and Hilton, those two guys, are, those are two guys who do have some difference in, in ADP. Despite this injury that Benjamin suffered a year ago, he's still – you know, he's still being drafted in the second or third round of our ADP. And then Funches is more like fifth, sixth, seventh rounder, uh, depending on the draft. So there is some difference in, in the value of those two players. And factoring in that difference, I'm on, I'm on board with you. I want Funches if I can get him two, three, four rounds later. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's close right this minute, what I said, of what I – if they're both sitting there in my draft, would I take Funches or Benjamin? I still would take Funches. That's close. I was being bold there. But in terms of what they cost, to me, it's not even the conversation. 
All right, Thad wants to know, why would you take Antonio Brown or Julio Jones over Hopkins, Cooper, Robinson in a startup draft given their age? Um, this is an easy one for me to answer. I wouldn't. Um, I, would rank, really? I, I would rank and I would draft Hopkins, Cooper, Robinson, Mike Evans, even over those those other guys. And And hopefully if I'm in a draft, that means moving down and gaining some value and still getting – one mm-hmm. of those guys I like. Um, but again, you know, being an ageist, Brown, I think, is 28. Julio's 27. Uh, and, and those guys both might have three or four or five more years. But, you know, I'm going to take the, the somewhat similar production and the five or six years, five or six year younger players. I 100% agree. Well, I don't 100% agree. I. Uh, the guy I'm trying to buy up where I don't have him, I think it's the last chance to absolutely do it is Mike Evans. I think he looks great in the preseason. I think he's going to score a ton of touchdowns. I, I'll put my bottom dollar that last year is his worst year for fantasy in the first eight years of his career. I think he's going to be a total star. He's a total downfield threat. So I would take him over all those guys. The only one that you mentioned that I would still take Julio and Brown ahead of is Hopkins. And I know he's great, and I know he did a lot of good things last last year, but I just think his, his targets have to go down. It goes back to the early conver- conversation of he's not a crazy athlete. He does, you know, he's not going to wow you physically. I, it wouldn't shock me, and this is no knock on him. He was phenomenal, but I, I wouldn't shock me if 2015 is the best season of his career. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so if uh, assuming Beckham would be your top-ranked player or would be yeah. your pick if you had the, the top overall pick in a startup draft, is Evans your second or is it is it one of these other mm. guys? I, I'd take Robinson over Evans. I haven't given this a lot of thought, but I'd give it – off the top of my head, I would take Robinson and Cooper over Evans. But those three are pretty close. And I, I still think Sammy Watkins isn't far off that either. All right, Bill wants to know, with Superflex leagues becoming more popular, what's the importance of a quality quarterback three on a roster? Um, he mentions a 12-team league where only eight are available. Uh, you want to handle this one? I, I don't know a lot of Superflex. I would think you definitely need a third guy, though. Yeah, we had, we had Chad Parsons on a few weeks ago, and he basically explained his strategy in a Superflex league as wide re- – I'm sorry, as quarterback becomes the dominant position – over wide receiver. He builds his teams around those quarterbacks, and I do the same thing. If we're playing in a super flex league, not only do I want a good quarterback three, I want a good quarterback four or even five if I can get them because I want to force that shortage at the position just the same way I, I try to do it wide receiver in a typical league. You know, in a, in a normal PPR league, start one quarterback, I want I want five of the top 15 wide receivers if I can get that, even if I can only start four of them. I you know, I still want five or six, and and if I get a top pick next year, I'm still taking another wide receiver. You know, in a typical year. So, I mean, the importance of a, of a quarterback three is huge with us in a super flex league. You know, I the first at first I read that from Bill saying there were eight available quarterbacks on the waiver wire. I guess his thinking is uh, if everybody's starting two that you know, there may only be eight or so on, on a given week. Um, eight extra yeah, starters. Eight, eight extra starters beyond the 24. Yeah, okay. Right, right. So so even less than eight, you know, once bye, bye weeks kick in. So, uh, so I guess yeah. I have one super flex, flex question. Is it a huge hindrance to you instead of starting, I don't know, uh, Dak Prescott or Blaine Gabbert or Trevor Simeon? I mean, that's a perfect example. I mean, wouldn't you still rather start, I don't know, Jordan Matthews? You know, a third receiver or a really good running back? You know, like just because the quarterbacks outscore it by that much that no matter what, you're always starting two quarterbacks? Um, I would say if you have a competitive team that you're always starting two quarterbacks. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, Even if it's Simeon. Simeon gets started every week. Well, no, that doesn't add up. I'm sorry. No, that doesn't add up at all. Right. But 24 quarterbacks get started every week. Uh, I would say if, if every owner is doing things the right way, yes. You know, okay. but yeah. 
but then you have guys like me who have five or six starting quarterbacks on their roster. So yeah, some, somebody else is, is starting a wide receiver or running back. And, you know, maybe that, again, maybe that works for them. But for me, I want as many quarterbacks as I can. I want others. I want somebody starting Simeon or Blaine Gabbert. That's, yeah, that's you're playing defense me. by doing that. Yeah, exactly. That that makes me feel good when I'm, you know, when I'm starting, you know, Rivers and Luck, and I'm having to leave Matt Stafford and Eli Manning <laughs> on the on the bench. That that is totally fine for me. And your opponent has Simeon and Eli. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Jordan wants to know, and this is this is a good question. Something that's changed a lot over the last few weeks. What's your uh, what's your dynasty rookie draft top ten for a PPR look like right now? Uh, well, I think we would both agree that it's it's still Zeke at the top. Yes, and I've been fiddling with this the whole time we've been chatting. By the way, all right. So Far. so Zeke Zeke is the easy pick at one in in most leagues and most league formats. Um, I think that you know those wide receivers that come after him have have kind of changed in value. I still have Treadwell at two, but I think most people, you know, I think the consensus would say Corey Coleman at two. Who do you have there? Yeah, and I looked at this a couple ways, where right when we were starting, I I wrote all the names down that I'd even consider in the top 10 or possibly the first-round pick. And I've got uh, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. i got 17 names, and some of them are like, Perkins and Washington and Booker and Miller and Carew. I think those guys are outside the top 12, top 10. But there was a handful of guys that I just put a plus sign by of, boy, these are way higher up my list than the last time we had this conversation. I mean, Sharp for sure. Boyd for sure. Dak Prescott for sure. Fuller, I was never big on. I know some people are, but I think I was wrong on him. I think he's a difference maker in the NFL. And the guy that's that I didn't I'm shocked that's coming out of my mouth, Derrick Henry might be my number two rookie right now. I think he's gonna be a star. I really like how he looks in the preseason. He looks like a like he's been doing something very well for his feet since he left Alabama. He's light on his feet, he's agile, he changes direction, he makes you know yards on his own. I'm not a big believer, as everyone knows, in investing in running backs, but I think he's gonna lead the Titans in rushing. I think he's gonna be a star. Yeah, he's been fun to watch for sure. For me, I'm still taking at least two or three of those wide receivers over Henry, but you know he's been gaining value. Yeah, I bet. Uh, certainly. So um, Henry's in that conversation anywhere from two to let's say five or six. Uh, Treadwell is in there somewhere, second or third, probably on most most lists. Uh, again, I think Coleman is probably the consensus uh, or, or the you know, the, the popular number two pick Sterling Shepard would be probably next on my list. He's another guy, as we mentioned earlier, who's been gaining value. You know, he hasn't really flashed in preseason necessarily, but I think by, you know, just by default, he has that second wide receiver uh, job locked up. Yeah. Uh, we saw, yeah. We saw Reuben Randall uh, succeed there last year to some degree. And I was looking at some some numbers. Dwayne Harris put up three three games last season where he was a top twenty four wide receiver on the week. So three different times. Wow! In the season, he was a top twenty four receiver. I you know I I never would have noticed that just going through the season last year. But essentially, what I'm saying is, if Dwayne Harris can do can do that, if Reuben Randall can do that, now can't even make the uh, the Eagles roster. I'm pretty excited to see what Sterling Shepard can do. I 100% agree on Shepard. The one guy you haven't mentioned though is Mike Thomas. Well, he's next on the list for me. Okay, he, okay. Um, he would be in that five six range. I think he's moved up. Probably, probably moved up due to the injury to Josh Dotson, who I think is moving down. You know, I think you could see Dotson fall to six or seven if you're doing a rookie draft today with Henry moving ahead of him, Shepard moving ahead of him, and and maybe even uh, Mike Thomas as well. Yeah, I have Doxon seven on my list too, which he could easily change your mind, you know, a couple a couple weeks from now too. And we just haven't seen him on the field. It's kind of that out of sight, out of mind. You know, my top seven were Zeke, Henry, Treadwell, Coleman, Thomas, Shepard, Doxon. 
and then Fuller at eight. Right. I, I think that would be in line with what most people would say is as the top seven, maybe some different order there. And, and yeah, Fuller would have to be next. I, I agree with you. He was not a guy I was a big fan of. I had my doubts. I, you know, I was worried about the hands like so many others were. And, you know, is he just a, just a speed guy? He's making big plays, making yeah. big plays. And um, they're raving about him at camp, too. You know, like Shepard, I think he's he's got that number two job locked up uh, for the Texans, as does uh, as does Boyd, Tyler Boyd in Cincinnati. Uh, yeah, so I would say Boyd's guy. next for me. Boyd would be nine. So I think I think Boyd and Fuller for me are just on the outside of that top seven, and, and then the ten spot is is really wide open. I, I think if you know if you ask me now, I'd probably say Leonte Carew, but I could see Sharp or Devonte Booker or CJ uh-huh. Procise. All of those guys are very close from ten to let's say fifteen. You didn't mention Kenneth Dixon, and he just got injured. He sounds like he's gonna miss the first month, but I still have high hopes for him. I I, I think I'd put him probably in that 10 spot, uh, all good reports. He looks good. Uh, I, I still think Kenneth Dixon has a chance to be their number one guy by the end of the year. Uh, I think Booker's stock has gone up slightly. And I think Braxton Miller's is too. He's a guy I wasn't really interested in, but he's their third receiver right now. All right. Well, let's wrap it up with, uh, with one more question. And this is another good one from John. He says uh, he doesn't really hear much about how people determine if they're contending or if they should rebuild. So I know, Matt, you talked a lot. You have to of, tell somebody this. It seems like doesn't everybody know that? I don't know. I mean, I'm not trying to be an ass to this guy, but I mean, just if you're not winning, <laughs> I mean, by week six or seven, if you're zero and seven, you're not contending. If you're seven and zero, you are. I, I don't know. It just seems like a pretty obvious thing to me. Like, and you can ride the fence. I mean, I don't think it has to be black or white that okay, I'm a buyer or I'm a seller. Maybe I'm sort of a little bit of both and I'm just trying to gently improve. But, I mean, if you're loaded and you look at the lists and redraft and you have all the guys everyone's picking in the first and second round, well, you're in it. If you don't, then you're not. That's that's actually one thing I was going to mention. So a, a few years ago, I wrote this article for DLF talking about one way to evaluate your roster. And essentially, I was using Dynasty ADP and assigning some point values and things like that as, as a way to basically score your roster. And then more recently, I was thinking back on that and, and thinking, you know, that might be a good long-term score to place on your roster, but really what you want to know now is, am I ready to compete? So I think, as you mentioned, you know, if you're looking at redraft ADP or, uh, you know, my fantasy league provides MFL 10 ADP, that's really what what you want to look at as, you know, if, if you're kind of stuck in the if middle. If you're not sure, and, and, yeah. Right. If you're not sure, that would be a good, uh, you know, a good resource to, to look up. Um, and kind of like I said, though, if you're not sure, well, go with your team. And if you don't win any games, then you're rebuilding. <laughs> you know, and if you, if you start beating people and you think you got a playoff shot, then do what you can to get in the show. Well, and the answer is, if you're not sure if you're a contender, you're probably not a contender. You're probably not. Um, There's a sucker at every table, and if you don't see him, it's probably you. Right. And But I, I don't know if it's, you know, I don't know if the process is quite as easy as you described it. You know, if you start out the season, you know, you mentioned the first seven weeks, if if you're four and three, you know, now you've got some decisions to make. You, True. You, know, you, know, when you win a couple more games, and maybe you're in the playoffs, or – if it goes the other way, you know, you end up with, with a, you know, a top two or three pick. Um, I mean, I've, I've got one. Which team is why that, trade deadlines are dumb. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, I've got one team that I think I've missed the playoffs, gosh, three years in a row now, maybe. And, and it's just this team I've, I've been struggling with to, to really get over the hump. It's a team that had success early in, in the league and, you know, I had LaDainian Tomlinson when he was just tearing things up, and it was great. I was in the finals every year, and, and, and he's gone, and, and other pieces are gone. And, and I've struggled. I've never been good enough to really make that playoff run in the past couple of years. But at the same time, I've not been bad enough to get a top one or two pick. So I've really just been stuck in, in the middle there, and that is not a good place to be. 
No, you're right. Although when you said that, it kind of dawned on me. I mean, I was in a league this past, this past year. I was in a league I've been in for a few years. And I wouldn't trade my roster, my assets, my draft picks for any roster in the league. But I was the seventh guy out. You know, I just missed the playoffs. And, you know, tough noogies. I mean, that's just the way it goes. You know, that's a bummer. But one thing people can do, they could drop me or you a line on Twitter and we'll say, dude, you're rebuilding or you need to rebuild. Or, yeah, we'll help them out. Yeah, and speaking of that, we, we had a lot of great questions that we did not get to, as always. And just like in the past when we've done these shows, uh, Matt and I will try to answer those on Twitter. And if you have other questions, like he said, definitely hit us up. We're always glad to to talk dynasty and talk fantasy football. Um, and for now, though, that will uh, end our show. We've got a couple of other great shows lined up. As Matt said earlier, we're going to talk a little redraft, uh, really focus on the 2016 season coming up soon. And uh, we're also going to do a DFS, a daily fantasy related show. So those should both be fun over the next couple of weeks as the season nears. But for now, we'll, we'll be back next week. <laughs>